there, everybody. It's Tracy with the Everybody Counts podcast. We're here to break down episode eight, titled Bloodline, written by Osoque Vasquez. And we are going to have an interview with Osoque at the end of um, our podcast discussion for you all to listen to. So that will be great to get some additional insights about the episode that Osoque wrote. So definitely stay tuned at the end for that. But I'm not here by myself. I've got Pete P.I. with me. What's up, Pete? What up? And Mike, a.k.a. Bosch Trivia Guys, joining us. How are you, Mike? Doing good. How's everybody out there? I am ready to talk episode eight. This is, you know, I think feel like I say it every time, but it's just jam-packed with, with stories. that We just hit all the different storylines in this episode. So right out of the gate, what are your thoughts on the episode? Exciting? Good? Interesting? Um, so personally, I'll, I'll jump in real quick because um, I had a, I had a really I have an honest opinion. So I love Bosch and I felt like, you know, the beginning of the season was moving very quickly. Mm-hmm. I feel like it slowed down a little bit where, like you said, there's a lot of storyline progression in this episode. But the timeline, I feel, didn't really move as much. And uh-huh. for me, the one thing that I really felt was the most important part of the episode was at the end. And we'll get to it eventually. Right. At the end of the episode, it, ca- it got me hooked in to say, let's watch number nine right now right. because what's going to happen? So I understand that you had to slow it down and drag it out for storyline progression. And we got to hear all these little pieces, but mm-hmm. I'm a kind of like um, a fast paced guy. So I'm ready <laughs> to get on with it. So, yeah, when it got to the end of the episode, I'm like, OK, let's yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Let's so keep that's moving. My honest opinion. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about how this is, we're kind of in this, almost like the second half of this, well, we are in this, literally in the second half of the season, but almost like the B story, but yet there's some stories that have lingered, you know, from the very beginning that are, seem to be running all the way through. So yeah, we're, they're kind of building the the B story, the second half story that, you know, just started like episode six. And so, yeah, it takes some time to, to, to build that out, to get the facts, to, you know, to get the situation set up. But yeah, there's some big, big reveals in this episode that definitely springboard you into the next one. What about you, Mike? Just some general thoughts on episode eight. Yeah, it was a little bit slower, but I mean, with all the things going on, you'd see how many irons Bosch has in the fire, you know, yeah. with Dr. Sue and mm-hmm. um, with, uh, finding Vance's heirs and, you know. So yeah, it, it did kind of slow down a bit, but I think when I was kind of rewatching it a few times here, it was, it almost felt like it was only like a few days that had gone by since the start of the first up or from the start of the episode. Uh-huh. It was only just like two or three days even went by. So I mean, not much can happen in two or three days. So yeah, it's kind of setting things up for the final two episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a lot going on, a lot that still needs to be resolved. So yeah, you, we know things are going to move fast for sure from here. Well, this episode was written by Osoque Vasquez and directed by Ernest Dickerson. I always like the episodes with Ernest, Ernest Dickerson. It just seems like historically he's had some really powerful episodes. I always look forward to it when he's directing. And of course, Osoque mm-hmm. is a friend to the podcast and to the Bosch pit. And so we're really excited that this is an episode he wrote as well. Can I just give a shout out to my man, Osaque. We yep. happen to listen to the same pos- podcast, the guy, um, JD from NY. So shout out. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All around. All right. Well, we jump into this episode with a flashback and it's really pretty cool. We saw some stills of this scene on like social media. 
you know, when they were filming and it got, I know it really got everyone really interested in what's going on. Are we going to see a young Bosch? And you know, really, really got us thinking. So that was kind of fun to see that finally come to, to fruition. So anybody want to kind of tell what happens there? We do have a young Bosch. I don't want to tell what happens, but I do <laughs> want to say one thing about the whole situation. Okay. Could you not have casted a better young Bosch? He nailed it. Nailed it. That's all I'm saying. He nailed it. I mean, when it comes to DNA, you got a pretty good shot at getting a, a Bosch there. So yeah, um, Titus's son, Eamon Welliver, uh, played the young Bosch and yeah, did a great job with the acting and of course had the look down pat. So. I want to watch a, sh- a, a show called Young Bosch and let him do because I'm so curious about the younger Bosch. We all are. How did he become I know. this guy? This just man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's come up a lot. A lot of people have said that would be really, really fascinating. So yeah, we have Eamon playing young Bosch and he's driving into a nice looking neighborhood and stops at one particular house, is driving a Jeep, pulls up and he goes up to the door. A young boy answers and he asks for his dad and the guy comes out and they get to talking and the, the a little Easter egg, which most people have noticed, which was super fun that also quite uh, was able to get this written into the episode when the little boy leaves he tells him to go eat his lunch or something he's like all right all right all right and of course everyone you know that throws you into matthew mcconaughey's signature line from dazed and confused and that he carries on today with matthew mcconaughey playing the lincoln lawyer in the lincoln lawyer movie and as the flashback plays out if you didn't catch in the beginning, you start to understand that this guy that young Harry is going to talk to is actually his biological father. And spoiler alert, if you don't want to know anything about the books, take a break. But in the books, Harry and the Lincoln lawyer, Mickey Holler, are half brothers. So that's a really cool nod to the readers. What? Yeah. <laughs> As somebody who's never read the books. Did you just say what I think you just said? I did. And I for, I didn't think about you not reading the book. So I yeah. haven't even made like that's a whole that's the crazy. Okay. I have to like Google that now later when yes. we get off, obviously. But I'll Google that yeah. later because I'm well, curious. No. Now. I'm not going to read the books. I do not read books, but <laughs> I will Google and read the Google article about about the book. What happens? Yeah. The yeah plot. News news flash, Pete. So, yeah, in, in the in the books, Harry and and Mickey are half brothers. They they share this father that young Harry's going to be talking to here in this scene. So yeah, definitely. Uh, really, these, that has crossover appeal in so many ways. Well, it does, and that's why everyone's so disappointed that we can't have that crossover because you know, Michael Conley has referred, you know, answered the question multiple times that their production rights are owned by different entities, so they're not able to. For legal purposes, not able to do like crossovers with Bosch, but Legacy and the Lincoln Lawyer. But we can get a Harry Bosch in an episode of Lincoln Lawyer doing a cameo and vice versa, right? They don't got to be connected. They could just be in, in I, as a different character. I don't know. They don't have to be the same they can be a different oh, character. Like different? Titus Welliver oh. as somebody else. And then, oh, you know what I'm saying? What you're saying. That, yeah. They, they, like, it's not going to be Bosch in Lincoln Lawyer. It would be like Titus, Titus playing, playing a prosecutor Frank, or something. Yeah, playing yeah. Frank the prosecutor, you know, something like that. Or, or, yeah, you know, I don't know. Somebody had mentioned on Twitter, it's like just cast Titus Welliver as a guy named Barry Hosh. Uh, we'll know. <laughs> yeah. you know. yeah, there you go. Boom. Your Easter egg. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I do like it. Yeah. I, I might like actually that. change my uh, next season. I'm that's going to be my, my, I'm not going to be PPI anymore. I'm going to be Barry Hosh. <laughs> there you go. 
I love it. I love it. So yes, with all that groundwork laid uh, for the scene, we wanted to to kind of address that. Young Harry talks to this um, this guy that comes to the door. He's an attorney, and he worked for Harry's mom when like her custody battles, trying to get him back into her custody and everything when he was back and forth with the the boys' home and everything and apparently he was more than than just the attorney representing her because together they made harry so he's harry's put this together i guess over time and he just wants to confront his biological father we don't even get a name in in this episode since we can't you know really have the crossover and stuff um Mm -hmm. but we don't really get we don't get a name but he does have him confirm that yeah he's his biological father and of course, the father, as you might imagine, wants to know, you know, first off, is it about money? That's his first assumption. And Harry's like, no, I provide for myself. But, but that's <laughs> valid, though. That's valid. It's, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's because valid. why else is this person appearing out of nowhere at right. this age? It's not like, you know, I feel like, I feel like he was old enough at that point where he wasn't looking for a father figure. So what are you looking right. for? Right. Yeah. So but I understand you, it, you know? Sure. No, no, I understand too. But as we know, Harry, it's, he just has certain, Certain well, that's an, that's an insult to Harry. <laughs> right, right. It's an insult to Harry. And but he has, you know, he has a certain creed. He has just certain rules. I, I don't know how to really describe it. But for his personality, he just needed to see him. How would you describe it, Mike? His reason to need to see him? Did he just need to confirm the truth? Even though he really probably already knew. Did he just need to face it? You know how Harry face is. About- in like in like a young Harry says to put a face to the name. Yeah, know? true. Yeah, so. yeah. It kind of sounded like that was the most legit reason. And the father, you know, said, like, I, I get that. I hear that type of thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and then the father apologized for, you know, Harry being dealt a bad hand. And they shake. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So I think it was just putting a face to the name, you know, mm-hmm. just to know, you know, I, I don't think Harry's intention was to upset the family, upset or uproot the, you know, marriage or anything like that. Just Right. Just to say hi, and that he's, that he's in the in the books. It was more like he, Harry uh, went to meet him just to say that he made it through the war. Mm-hmm. So I think, if I'm not mistaken, Harry was actually in the Gulf War in in this uh, timeline because it's okay. different from the books. Different, so right, maybe, different timeline. Yeah. So just so, to, just to know he's made it through and he's on his own and has a job and he's kind of doing okay. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Just I guess a little bit of closure, sort of. To, mm-hmm. to that piece and yeah there's no conversation about seeing each other again or having any kind of relationship or anything it's just kind of that's matter of fact that's it harry heads out and he does he sees the little boy playing basketball out in the driveway when he uh leaves you know and well it is his brother yeah <laughs> that's his little bro <laughs> so yeah i think that was just I, I for me it was a fun scene i mean it was obviously it was a little sad too because he had this mm-hmm. father all along didn't have a relationship but just it, it was fun to get a, a peek into the past and to see a young Harry. Especially I want more young family. Harry, more yeah. young Harry, <laughs> more young Harry. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, yeah, I think that would be cool, too, if we got a peek at him at different stages of his life, you know, would, would always be cool. So we come back into present time and Harry's in his office and he's he's found a bug. Uh, he thinks a, a, a bug in the lamp, right? The desk lamp. Yep. Yes. Yep. And he calls Mo in to check it out. And sure enough, it is a surveillance you know, device, a bug, and very high end, according mm-hmm. to Mo. 
so he's like, do you want me to take it out? And Harry's like, nope, it might serve a purpose. Let's just leave it there, you know, kind of for some potential leverage going forward. And we do see that come up later in the episode. So the the guys are, the we you know, we have to assume that it's Creighton and Corwin and all those guys that are still trying to keep a, keep track of Harry and what he's doing. So we also get some more updates on the Basu investigation. So Harry, he had seen that on the calendar at Bas- Dr. Basu's house about a meeting with Robert Rendon, who was an investigator for the medical board in California. And he's able to meet with this guy. And this guy had done an investigation about another clinic in California, I think Culver City, about physicians overprescribing opioids and what was going on there. And it sounded, I, apparently Basu may have thought it sounded similar to something he was hearing about because he, he met with this Robert Rendon and asked a bunch of hypothetical questions is, is the way mm-hmm. he described it. And they went through different scenarios about potential overprescribing. But then I think it was the next day he was murdered. Dr. Basu was murdered. So there was, there was no more follow-up. He has a cool name. Basu? Basu, yeah. Yeah, Like, yo, I'm Basu. What's up? I'm Basu. Like, rest in peace, but Basu. It is a cool (laughs) name. I like it, too. So, interesting. one of the things I thought was particularly interesting about Harry's conversation with Robert Rendon was that Rendon had reached out to Gustafson and about his talk with Dr. Basu. But at that point, Gustafson, which is hard to say um, for me, didn't want to have anything, didn't need him, didn't want to have anything to do with it. He said that didn't really apply to this, you know, the scenario that they were, you know, were, were working with. Um, and I guess you know, he's referring back to Jeffrey Herstat at that point, you know, once Gustafson found, you know, someone to pin it on, that was it, you know, end of story for him until of course, Harry and Honey kind of blew that out of the water with the, the DNA stuff, potential transfer. Yeah, <laughs> just, it's just another example there of Gustafson not following up on potential clues and evidence he didn't follow up about the sweatshirt logo remember last episode the 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 young guy yeah. had, had noticed a logo yeah this dude's incompetent <laughs> well, <laughs> lazy detective lazy I, yeah i see a lot of laziness i'm like dude there's there's other information to explore so it's, it's frustrating to me to see another example of that but we also get some insights about the Basu murder from Dr. Gallagher later in the episode when Harry's having lunch with mm-hmm. him. He points out that based on the wound, the stab wounds, that it, it must be someone with a medical background or a military background. So that yep. kind of starts to narrow the scope for Harry. So I think that's kind of where we are with the Dr. Basu murder investigation. Anything else you guys want to comment on that for this episode? No, that sounds about right for that okay. one. Yeah, I think we, right. I think we're, we're there, so we can. All right, let's move into the follow up from the disastrous death last week of James Sharp and Nicole Davis. You know, they were trying to arrest him. He pulls it, you know, drives into a fence. There's the shootout. They say there's a gun. There's a shootout with SIS, and Nicole and James are are dead. So obviously, that's police use of force you know so they have to investigate it there's a league attorney that shows up to talk to maddie and this guy he rubbed me the wrong way what was your first impression of this league attorney that talks to maddie like him or don't like him ah 50 50 (laughs) because i think he's trying to make sure everybody gets on the same page because you kept on bringing vantage point up you know from your vantage point yeah you you didn't see this this or you didn't see who fired first so 
right. think he's trying to get everybody on the same page. So mm-hmm. I'm okay. What about you, Pete? Curious. So, <laughs> like, this is, I guess, similar to like a corporate lawyer because we actually have one um, for our district for the union, just in case anything ever happens. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I've heard stories, and yeah, their job is to coach you. So you don't, you know, that you don't allow to get, you don't get caught up in your own words that can hurt yeah. you or most importantly, the company or organization you're defending. Right. So I think he is a little bit of a slippery guy. However, I think he's doing his job and he's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's what he has to do. We don't really see this guy like outside of work making secret deals. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, from what Bosch is showing me, yeah, yeah. this guy's shady, he's slimy, he's just <laughs> altering things, he's bad news. Cause they're not going to show me more. I don't feel like I'm going to see more of him. Right. So it's, it's take it what you got. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so an I'm interesting, gonna, yeah. it's an interesting perspective because it seems less about, it's not really so much about investigating Maddie, you know, but, but investigating the situation. So it's a little bit different than what we're used to seeing where the investigators are really grilling and trying to pose a lot of questions and, and get to the answer. He, like you said, he's trying to make sure everybody's, you know, kind of on the same page and, and he does make good points about um, answer the question specifically. Don't don't add more to the question. And, and that's another thing I want to jump in on real quick, because mm-hmm. um, he's just trying to help her, honestly, mm-hmm. because if she goes in there and answers those questions like she did originally without the answers he gave her, they mm-hmm. are going to it's going to be worse. They're going to bring her in, um, put her through a uh, possibly do um, a court thing. We have to put, you know, go on the oath. And right. say exactly what you saw. And if you're wrong, they could use it against you. Either way, he's trying to prevent, you know, not just the organization, but her from having to deal with a harder time because he knows mm-hmm. she's a rookie. He knows she's never been through this before. Like yeah. you put Harry Bosch in there. He, he would look at the guy and say, yeah, you're buying me coffee and I'm not talking to you and then leave because he knows the drill. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah he would just be like, yeah. yo, this is this is a formality right. where Maddie, this is like her first. That's a good point. So so she mm-hmm. has to be coached properly um, this way. She gives the right answers. They move on. If she yeah. gives the wrong answers, she's now going to be brought back possibly for a second round of questioning and so on and so on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So as slimy as we think this guy is, I do think that he is – by default, Maddie's best interest comes into play because the bigger picture is defending the organization. The so, organization, yeah. And that's the thing. I guess I sort of felt like, well, he's kind of leading her. But in a way, I guess that's kind of his job is to teach her how to you know, respond uh, yeah, in these yeah. situations. Not necessarily what to say but to not keep adding to the conversation or not to, you know, to, to make sure she's confident and succinct and doesn't trip so, on her words and then get questioned about it again and again and again. And then all of a sudden she's on the, you know, testifying. That's what yeah, I'm saying. And like. And, and like you guys pointed out too, to focus on her vantage point and not think about, well, over here, so-and-so was doing this. And I thought maybe yeah, no. No, you didn't see to your left. You saw right. straight, you know, mm-hmm. or, and you didn't see what they were saying. You saw what yeah. you saw in that, that alone. So that's that's those are good points. I, I appreciate yeah. you bringing that out. I just it kind of had just a, a funny feeling about him. But but, um, but you're right. He, he was pretty much doing uh, it seemed like he was doing what, what he needed to do. Another follow up from the incident, though, is when uh, Lieutenant Cosgrove, Spencer Cosgrove from SIS, who was kind of leading the charge there, meets with Detective Morrison who's the one who set up the drop with Nicole Davis's mom. Mike, did you want to talk about that a little bit, their conversation? Yeah, it was uh, kind of slimy because it's yeah. like uh, Cos- Cosgrove is this kind of, that is, you know, him trying to, uh, what is the word I wrote down? Trying to... Take your time. Uh, spinning. He's spinning the, the... The narrative. The narrative, thank you. Yeah. Spinning the narrative. 
You know, because he was saying that Nicole basically willingly got into the car. And yes. then we'll have to see what the cell phones and the body cams, you know, reveal. Well, when she got in the car, were there any body cams or cameras on the car at the time? Because nobody knew he was coming up the street until last minute. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and we could tell that she was being coerced to get into the car because we could hear the audio. And but obviously mm-hmm. that's not from the that's not from a cam core. It's not from a vehicle cam. It's not from a body cam. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he approaches Morrison to try to spin things his way, you know, yeah. and make it look like everything's on the up and up where I think Morrison can kind of see through it a little bit, you know, I think so. was, yeah. you know, do we want to talk about Morrison going back into listening to the recording then after that, or is that I later think- on? We can get to that later on, yeah. but, I, but I think you, I think you I, made it clear I that I going to bring that up. Let's hold that until a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As I said, I was going to, I was, let me stop because <laughs> yeah. I was right. <laughs> but it, so, it, but again, it gets Morrison thinking that maybe I should, you know, look back and or check it back. It gets out. the ball spinning. It gets the ball yeah, spinning. It, yeah. Morrison walks away from that conversation a little like, I don't know, concerned or wait, maybe questioning what's going on here because it mm-hmm. was very obvious that Cosgrove was saying like, yeah, we want our stories to be straight. Well, yeah, you do, but he wants it to be straight to his story. <laughs> you know, yep. it, yes. it seems. And Morrison without- even said, and Morrison even said, do we know that she wasn't coerced into the vehicle? I mean, so it was just, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it, we definitely get the feeling that Morrison is trying to understand what really happened and whatever happened, Cosgrove seems to already have a narrative in his head to me that he wants everyone to go by. So whether it's Since Morrison wasn't a part of the oh sorry, go ahead. Pete. No, I was gonna make it easy for everybody. The fact that on episode eight, this far into it, they're showing you these two guys, obviously they did something wrong, and we're gonna find out real soon. So just yeah. stay tuned, people. <laughs> Good point. Good point. What was your question, Mike? Well, it's not really a question, I was oh. a, more of an observation. Morrison wasn't a part of the Part of the SIS. The no, no, he wasn't. No. So Morrison wasn't even there. So why is Cosgrove approaching Morrison, you know, trying to get these, you know, get to get the story straight where Morrison's like, hey, I wasn't there even. You yeah, know, so maybe a that good point. Kind of, yeah. They kind of go, okay, I got to look into this a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good point. So, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's move further into the the side with nicole davis and her surviving son and her family and what they're dealing with marty and honey uh from rose and associates want to take this up as a wrongful death suit for kaylin her son and they're talking together they're putting the pieces together and deciding if you know they want to go for it and and present this opportunity or this offer to the family and they decide to do it and they they meet with the davis family um nicole's mom her dad and her sister chris i believe is her name and at, at first you know they're obviously still just really emotional and not sure but i think it's the father who kind of pushes do you guys remember that kind of says we should do this and the mom agrees uh, he he the father kind of needed to be kind of talked into it because Okay. The father's like, well, what, 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 what would it do type of thing? Um, right. Right. You know, money wouldn't bring her back. Nothing you yeah. got, nothing mm-hmm. that could be done will bring Nicole back. So once when honey made her pitch and Marty, you know, backed her place saying that, well, they were worried about money too. They like, we can't afford an attorney. And once when Marty says that, you know, we get paid on a contingency basis, it won't cost you a dime. 
The mom right. kind of looks over at the dad and the dad's like, okay, let's, let's do yeah. it. Yeah. But the father kind of had to be talked into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. What right. do you have to so- a couple of things. First of all, you know Honey's assistant with the bow tie? Matthew. 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 So you guys know, I literally counted about a third of the dots on his bow tie for trivia and I couldn't do it. I was like, I'm not doing this no more. This is going to be too, this is not worth it. So just so you guys know, that's not the trivia question. But um, thank you. I, the voice of the street comes into my mind when I think about this because the guy's right. Nothing's going to bring his uh, the girl back. No amount of money. And now you're going to file a wrongful death charge against the cops, right? That's who they would be charging it against. So like, and I think we spoke about this in another podcast um, that when you do a lawsuit against like the cops, there's a possibility that they're all going to hate you now. And once they see you out there, they're going to find something that they can or any little thing you do wrong. If you jaywalk, they're going to pull you in Mm. because, you know, you're out there. So I understand his hesitant to begin with because you know, the more money you get them for, the matter they're going to be. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that they're going to go after him or anything. That's not how right, you know right. I think it works. But I'm just saying in his mind and that family, after all they've been through. Might be something know, that crossed his mind. Yeah. Maybe you just cut it off and walk away and just say, let everybody rest in peace. Mm-hmm. So I get his initial thought process. I hear you. I hear you. I get it. Well, so they do. Yes. As we as we. Discussed, yeah, they go for they, it eventually. They, which They do go for it. Which is um, the justice move. It's the yeah, justice yeah. move. They are going for the justice move, for sure. And Honey does notice something interesting about um, Nicole Davis's sister, Chris. She seems to have an interesting look on her face or something seems off. So she decides to talk to her later. She also gets Mo investigating um, Lieutenant Cosgrove. Um, and she also follows up with Morrison and wants to, to talk about the situation. You know, Can she get information about the recording and so forth? And he's like, no, you need to talk to RHD. You know, I, I can't give you anything. Yo, these people but, think they're slick. She comes in. Yeah. I just want coffee. Oh, so you had a face on. What was that about? And he comes in. Yo, can I see something about this guy? What can we yeah. do about it? Yo, okay, cool. I got that bingo. Like, <laughs> it's all smooth. And like, like you guys are like, you know, you're slipping around, but it's so smooth. And it's like, cool. <laughs> yep. So she does follow up with, with the sister. And the, the main takeaway I think we get from that is that Nicole was still kind of maybe off and on dating James Sharp. The dad had said, yeah, she hasn't dated him for a couple of years or something like that. And that was when the sister kind of had an interesting look on her face. And so Honey gets that out of her that whatever it means or doesn't mean that there was still somewhat of a relationship going on, um, even when her father didn't think there was. And as far as Morrison, you know, yeah, he's like, I'm not giving you anything. You have to go through RHD. Um, but it does, just like the conversation with Cosgrove, it gets him thinking a little bit more. You know, this is on his mind. This is keeping it present in his mind. He does decide to um, revisit that recording. Well, now it's serious. Well, yeah. Because it's, originally it's, you have you have another guy asking for you to back him up. Now you have a lawsuit, uh, a, yeah. A legit lawsuit where yeah. this person's going to go dig every single piece they can of it. So you better go check your stories and make sure there's no loose ends. Yeah, yeah. So do you want to talk about that when he revisits the recording and listens to it, Mike? Yeah, because uh, first thing I know, well, you see the phone or the, yeah, I think it's a phone that had the recording. Mm-hmm. He's listening to it and he's hearing that Nicole is t- telling her mom that the gun was in the trunk. And that she just wants her, you know, and she's worried about her son, Kalen. The thing that I noticed, though, was the background where, where Morrison was sitting. It's the bullpen of what yeah. used to be a Hollywood homicide area. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I uh, took a few screen, not really screen grabs, but pictures off my TV because uh-huh. in the very top corner of the of the frame, I could notice a little plaque on the upper corner of the frame. I'm like, I wonder if that's the, you know, Hollywood homicide, our day starts when yours ends. Uh-huh. So I reached out to Sokway asking him if that indeed was the Hollywood homicide bullpen thing. And he got back to me saying that, uh, yes, it is a detective's bullpen at Hollywood station. Didn't rec- didn't reconstruct all of the set, just the cubicles and Morrison's row. The rest okay. of the room was digitally added. So to your question, no, Titus did not bring back the plaque because I asked oh, if yeah, he took yeah, that was a gift. brought in because he got the plaque <laughs> after Bosch season seven wrapped two years yeah. ago. He yeah. was gifted with the plaques. So I thought maybe he brought it back in to hang from the ceiling where uh-huh. it was originally but no so it was digitally okay. added so i kind of that's thought that interesting was kind of well there's some filmmaking magic for you guys that's that's exactly um, that's some good input thanks for sharing that but yeah i think the main takeaway from him listening to the recording again is about the gun in the trunk you know mm-hmm. we're like wait a minute how could he be reaching for his gun if it was still in the trunk so yeah what's going on there something is not adding up well what that was what that does is it brings attention to the trunk and the trunk location and then when you start to look at all the little pieces in there because you're like think about it this way we live in in an age where i'm sure there's a camera across the street or uh, on the corner or somewhere else Mm -hmm. where they're gonna they can pull the feed and say we got this view and this view shows this 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 and we're looking at the trunk now so something's going on there because like i said episode eight this all would not be part of the storyline if something wasn't about to come to, to head right. here. It is going, it's going somewhere for sure. One question I have for you guys. What do you think about this scenario where Honey is now utilizing Mo's services as well as Bosch? It's kind of funny to me that that he's, you know. No, it wasn't for the first time this season. No, she it wasn't. Uh, right, she, she had to look at the uh, phone. Yeah, yeah, the phone from the pool. and Yeah. Um, What's going like on here? <laughs> Most most staying busy. He's getting yep. paid from uh, two different people now. It looks mm-hmm. like you know, investigating Cosgrove and finding out about the TRO t- temporary restraining order. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's kind of I, I like Mo being involved in both parties. I like yeah, I like seeing more Mo, and I just think it keeps him of, in the show. It keeps him in the show, <laughs> and I just think it's kind of funny because it's like she's moving in on kind of feels like she's moving in on Harry's territory. I mean, but, Harry doesn't have custody of Mo or anything. No, but, you know, but here, I but have the answer to your question, Tracy. Because the first thing I thought was, oh, she's going to offer more money and take him. However, I'm pretty sure, and I think he might have even mentioned it, I'm not sure if, which episode it was, that he's not working for Bosch for the money. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he just respects Bosch's moral compass and moral code and wants to do the right thing. And that's how, like, for, I'm sure for all the bad things Mo did, these are the good things. However, mm-hmm. you still need to eat and enjoy your fancy lifestyle and listen to your music. So <laughs> yeah. honey's going to pay you the money. Yeah. 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 So there you go. It's, I don't think it's a conflict of interest. I think it's I just he's either. doing for two different reasons. So I don't think it's going to be an issue going forward. And oh, in fact, no. I think they're both going to have him on retainer, just bosh for a lot less money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. No, I don't think there's any conflict of interest or anything. I just think it's just kind of funny to me. It just gives me a chuckle. Um, and yes, I do like having more, more Mo. All right, well, let's move into going back to, let's focus on Maddie a little bit. So Maddie and Raina, well, let's pick up where uh, everyone's still, you know, just, uh, they're giving, taking meals to Paulina's family, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, wanting to visit Paulina in the hospital, you know, seeing how she's doing. So Maddie and Rico, who seems to have an interest in her, 
Listen, um, listen, I just want to say one thing because I don't want to bash the person. I know it's I know Rico's a character, so this doesn't not the real person who 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 you know plays Rico, the Rico character. I hate you, the end. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would expect I, I agree nothing with more from one. you. And oh, I would like to, really I would it. like to hear from Jay about this issue also, please. Well, I'll uh-huh. channel Jay. I don't like him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there you go. That's exactly. it. Just in the what fourth or fifth episode when they're having the boots only bar meeting, yeah. and the guy that's you know Rico's just super excited about giving birth to a kid, and he's yeah. like, "Yeah, baby Rico, baby, you know, let's." Yeah. Get, he just seems a punch. The character <laughs> seems like a wiener. <laughs> I don't like him. And Maddie seems to like him, so I'm even more mad. That's all. That makes you even more mad. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's got confidence, some bravado. I'll, I'll give him that. And that, I don't know, maybe that's, you guys don't don't like that. I'm going to keep calling him boot, because if he keeps it up, that's what he's going to get. He's going to get boot. the boot. Okay. Well, that, well, that and, the, uh, and the run, too, where they're uh, testing for the run. And uh-huh. he's like, well, let's make Hollywood Division proud. And he's like trying to amp everybody up. And I just think, what a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> what a wiener. The guy's just... Let's just, rate, so. let's just say for the record, and I think I've said this to Madison Lentz too, the male co-hosts on this podcast, no one will ever be good enough for Maddie. I mean, I think I can just make a blanket statement um, now. I, well, I do have one candidate that had a shot in my mind, and um. but he's gone now. <laughs> um, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes, Tom. You always Sorry, to Tom. Tom. I liked Antonio. I liked Antonio. No, no Tom. Good. It was Tom. Tom was okay. But after Tom, it went downhill. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Pete, Pete thought there was going to be a Tom and Maddie wedding. I, remember that. Well, I thought that he'd be in on a spinoff and they'd be little Tom and Maddie's. <laughs> but Maddie torpedoed that by stealing her code, by stealing his codes to get it access yeah. to yeah. the CIU files. So. Exactly. It was the most boss thing she's ever done in her True. life. <laughs> True. <laughs> so I, I, I can never talk about maddie and and a male counterpart without it going off the rails like this it's just, it's true it's, you should have a I, private podcast to discuss maddie's love should. life i know why <laughs> should i be surprised but maddie and rico kind of decide to carpool to the hospital and he's got tamales and they're chatting and they go to the hospital and they're sitting by her bedside the news comes on and there's a press conference um yeah we didn't mention earlier that honey and marty hold a press conference there at the davis house that they are taking on them as clients in this, you know, wrongful death suit against the LAPD, and Maddie turns the TV off. She doesn't want to, wouldn't want to hear it. She's not happy about that. You know, her. I mean, you think about it, honey. She's always looked up to her. They have this strong relationship, but now they're kind of, you know, but yeah, they're clashing. That's the word I'm mm-hmm. looking for. So, hmm. so that's that's interesting to see that development. But we have even more development because Rico gives Maddie a ride home. He he should probably just go back to his home, but then he doesn't leave and they decide to go into her place together. And he's there most of the night, but not all the night because she tells Raina the next day that she did need some sleep and he can put it all together there. So it, we look like we have development on the romance front with Rico and Maddie. But I just got to say, it was a nice time-lapse uh camera shot from the from night when they go into her apartment and then oh yeah and then to today to the mm-hmm. yep, yeah the... fast forwards to the morning i do like the time lapse uh yeah, video yeah the passage of time so yeah this leads us back into the next day when yeah she's talking to reina about it and reina's cool about it she just kind of wants to know kind of 
you know, she good where things are, you know, is this something that might happen again? And spending more time together and Maddie, you know, she, they seem to have um, Maddie and Raina or their, their relationship is building, there's trust there. And she tells her um, pretty much that, yeah, she, she thinks she would like to see him again, but she wants her, wants Raina to keep it on the down low. So. We should just make it disappear. <laughs> just write it out the story. That's it. It just disappeared. Hey, he fell on a cliff. You guys. <laughs> like yeah. Roadrunning Coyote. <laughs> but this, um, this leads us into a big moment for Maddie when she sees some suspicious activity going on in Thai town and gets Raina to pull over. Who wants to talk about this scene? Pete, you want to go or you want me to go? Um, there was some creepy dude filming naked girls, right? Is that what was going on? And I, I, they yeah, caught something. him. Yeah, something like that. And, and um, apparently it wasn't the only one, right? He's done it like to a bunch of females. At the, well, yeah, we, later we, on, like... Yeah, quite, just a, a, quite a few videos on his phone. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. he's a serial um, filmer. Keeping Tom. <laughs> yeah. We find, out, yeah. we find out that they have captured, they, you know, they arrest him, the Thai town peeping Tom, which always yeah, makes me think that five times fast. Wow. I know. I know for real. <laughs> which always makes me think of Koreatown Killer. You know, we got the Thai mm-hmm. town peeping Tom and caught by the greatest duo ever. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now now Raina and Maddie are like at the they're like crate and barrel with this this arrest. They 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 nabbed the peeping Tom. And so of course that looks good for Maddie. And who was it? Uh Detective Coleman that is investigating the screen cutter case, you know, acknowledges she's the one who lets them know that was the tie town peeping Tom when they when they bring him in. So that was that was a good moment for Maddie and for Raina. And just gives Maddie a little extra cred there, you know. So well, um, Raina also called her Maddie for the first time in the season. Oh, that was this one. Okay, okay. Yeah, she said, "Good job, yeah. Maddie," and she goes, "Maddie," and she's like, "Don't get used to it." Yeah, yeah. don't get used to it. Not bad, Maddie, and yeah, don't get used to it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't Which... know if you um, if I don't know if you're going to ask Ahsoka or if Ahsoka says this during the interview when you interview him tomorrow. I did ask him about that scene too, and. He uh, replied to me saying he was very happy that he got the Maddie Vasquez moment, wherein Vasquez finally said Maddie's first name. Mm-hmm. That he fought for that moment. I knew it had to happen, and it had to happen in eight. Ha ha! Type thing. So yeah, yeah. Podcast, <laughs> I was very yes. happy to see that Maddie was being called by her first name. By yeah, Vasquez. that was that was a that was a cool moment. Thanks for re- reminding us about that, Pete. Plus, it was the forcefulness of where Maddie. You know, it tells the guy LAPD, you know, mm-hmm. you know hands yeah. on the ground, or, you know, get down yeah. type of thing. Definitely, it was definitely. Had... That was coming out of yeah. too, in that, in that uh, scene. That confidence, for sure. Let's move into the Whitney Vance storyline, because it's still going. This one has been going mm-hmm. from the beginning. And the one of the big moments in episode seven was Harry finally connected with Gabriella Lita, who was not necessarily legally, but did have a marriage uh, ceremony with Nick Santanello. And they, they had a daughter together, uh, Viviana, named after his biological mother. So they connected at the end of last episode. And th- this circles back to the, to the bug in Harry's office uh, because he gets a call from Gabriella in his office but he acts like it's Maddie. Of course, she doesn't mm-hmm. really understand what's going on, but she goes with it because if someone's listening in, 
he does not want them to know that he is setting up plans to go meet Whitney Vance's heir. So yeah, they they basically work out a time to meet, but without revealing who he's really talking to. He, he um, acts like it's a phone call with Maddie. So the next day, Mo gives him a ride to Viviana's loft. And he, it's kind of a fun. very uncomfortable thing. Yeah, it's kind of a fun <laughs> moment because he takes him in a, a flower shop delivery truck. I guess that belongs to his uncle or something. But Harry has to stay under the radar. Again, he doesn't want anybody seeing, spying, watching him, meeting with an heir um, to the Whitney Vance fortune. So yeah, Harry complains about the ride, but at least he's kind of undercover there. So yeah, yeah. so the, the Vans, Vans and him have a history, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I also had a question about that. So I reached out to a soap boy sure, asking, mm-hmm. asking him about that. And he goes, yeah, it's in reference to the Veronica Allen season two, where she got into a delivery van to get out of the, the neighborhood. Community, neighborhood. Oh, right. The, de- so, the food delivery service. Yeah. yeah. Good so I was, I was curious about that because I'm like, yeah, van, van, because I'm trying to think of all seven seasons. I'm like, where does Bosch have any tie in with a van? That's, and that right. was one of the things I thought of was Veronica Allen getting out of the neighborhood yeah. with a van. So, yep. Very so he cool. confirmed that. So cool. That's, that's a good, good information. I like it. So yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting conversation. Harry meets Viviana and, you know, she knows that there's some sort of inheritance, you know, that he, she figures out he's talking about her biological grandfather. And, and then when he mentions that the large volume of money, she puts it together that it's Whitney Vance because, you know, it's all over the news. And first she's upset because she calls it the war machine. His company makes military helicopters and so forth. And and Bosch quickly points out, well, you don't have to use the money for that. You know, you can do something else with it. So it's it's an interesting exchange. And uh, they talk about, you know, needing to obviously do DNA testing or whatever. And that's where the bug in the office comes back into play again. Harry talks to Honey on his office phone about getting DNA testing, but he names a different lab than they're mm-hmm. actually going to use. So that's, you know, comes into play about using, trying to use the bug. Yes, but can I jump in leverage. here for a second? Because yes, the voice yes. from the street always seems to hit me during the show. And all I'm thinking was like, okay, cool. So you were able to change the name of the lab so they can't go to the lab to get the testing. But what if they decide that they're crazy enough to skip the lab and just go get Honey and take it directly from Honey if she has the, the paperwork or the DNA? Like, think about it. They didn't, yeah. He didn't cover the fact of who he sent in either. That's so what happens question. if they That's good. To just go to all the angles? Like, think about it. If you're really going to get, if you're really trying to put, nip this in the bud, you're going to be like, okay, get her, kidnap her, check out what she got. Don't even let it get to the lab. Mm, interesting. So, so to me, I felt like Bosh, you know, that's kind of dangerous throwing honey out there. I, I don't know if the writers, you know, did that on purpose to have like a passive aggressive attack on honey from Bosh <laughs> or if it was just like, you know, okay, we're going to do this and no one's yeah. going to analyze this except for the three people doing the Bosch Legacy podcast. Well, it's, really good. it's good to ask these questions and to be skeptical, you know, because that's the first thing I thought of that. Why go to the lab? Just go to the person who, you know, has it right. No matter what. I mean, I understand you're thinking, oh, it's somebody else's DNA, but this is a security firm. This reminds me of one of the funniest moments on the podcast when I think it was last season when Jay stopped. You were going on a rant about something and, and Jay's like, Pete, are you a criminal? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah because <laughs> I always come with the voice of the street and I always have 
all these weird things like how you would yeah. get around this and get around that and jay's just always thinking that i'm up to no good <laughs> so, record, i just analyze no. things a lot and see it i see it ppi is not a criminal but you are our, you do think that you think about what could go wrong so worst case scenario i call it it's a game yeah, i worst, play with my yeah, head worst case scenario <laughs> so yeah now you've got me nervous for because think about that's the first thing I'm thinking. Listen, I, I I'm not. It's not a spoiler alert. I don't know what's gonna happen because we're on eight, not nine or ten. Mm. But I mean, who knows if she doesn't get kidnapped? And you know, anybody doing business with a boss might be suspect. Like, why? If this is such important DNA, why wouldn't he lie about the name of the company? You know what I'm saying? The person delivering. Yeah. What What do you think yeah. about that, Mike? I I was just thinking to myself. I, I always go back to the books here and there every uh-huh. now and then. And I remember in the books, uh, Bosch and uh, Honey Chandler's filling in for Mickey Haller's role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they split up because he figured out his driver was working with the enemy, and so Haller took the fake samples to one lab where Bosch took the real samples to another lab. But obviously, Bosch can't do that because he's under constant surveillance from private yeah. right. security still. So, I, yeah. so yeah, I could see it. You know, where Honey could have been a target. But uh, she said she was taking them straight there. But I can't remember if we see her taking them to the lab in this episode or the, or the next. So I, I think we see so it in the next episode. And I think it's like the next day. It's not like immediately. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Got me. So she makes it to now. the lab. Is that the spoiler you just told everybody? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> but, you know, we've all watched all the episodes. Okay. So. Well, it's not which a lab does she make it to, huh? <laughs> yeah, which one? Which one? I yeah. listen, which one? Listen, it, it's true. I have watched all the episodes twice. However, I always try to do the podcast from what I thought when I first watched it. Yeah, There's no, no notes I have from when I first yeah. watched it that are genuine yeah. notes to yeah. bring up to you guys this way. It's mm-hmm. gen- it's not, you know, oh, well, he's just leading us. I'm not leading. No, no, no. I know you're not. No, I try to I don't know anything. Too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it takes a specific skill to try to put your mindset back the first time watching but that's why i take we, notes but we do try to do it yep i should so, take notes on my first watches from now on that way yeah, it's, it's, yeah awesome it's, it's the genuine reaction where like yeah. the second time you might be like well i knew i was gonna have it the first time you're like it might, yeah. might be a little more like okay let me <laughs> let me bring that up yeah, i think i'll do that next year when season two comes around I'll take notes as i watch it through the first time mm-hmm. just as questions to myself or stuff i can throw yes. out later on. yeah yeah that's a good idea i like it i like it all right, so of course Harry's going to set up security, you know, for Bibiana and trying doing everything he can to keep her safe and Gilberto, Gilberto, her son. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 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 that's good until he gets a phone call like the next day or so and from Bibiana and saying someone is watching the building. And uh, I don't know who, who this guy is. And she starts describing him and Bosch thinks he knows who it is. And he goes and confronts this person. I figured one of you confronts guys- Confronts him? That, that's what you want to well, call it? Well, Confront? I figured one that's of you guys- That's not a confrontation, Tracy. That is I, like, I, I thought he was going to kill him. I figured one of you guys would want to talk about this scene. So whatever you want to call it, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, you seem to be hung on the confronts. That's what I put on, the, on my notes too. Is- yeah. The boss confronts Sloan, but I put it in parentheses. So yeah, yeah, because that's I mean, maybe that's a normal confrontation for Bosch, but not for anybody no. else in the world. <laughs> yeah. He slams uh, him against security. the wall, right? Yeah. And he clocked back his fist. Guy, probably had it before. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. He slams him against the wall, he holds him up with his chest, and he pulls back his fist. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. asks him a question okay. that let's only dial it back. Answer. 
let's dial it back and make it clear <laughs> that Bosch is thinking it is Sloan. He goes and it is Sloan. Now go ahead, Mike, and talk about um, kind of how it went down. Well, considering that uh, even Bosch put uh, the detectives on the Sloan a few episodes back, because he still thinks that Sloan might be responsible for, you know, working with Trident or, you know, getting inside information. Heck, a guy shows up at his doorstep, you know, was it episode three or four, you know, saying uh-huh. that Whitney Vance is ill and, you know, and, and Bosch almost had it in for him there, too. That was more of a confrontation because... Bosch uh-huh. just kind of goes, you don't want to do that when Sloan grabs the door. And, door, yeah. And Sloan just kind of backs off. So, yeah, this one's a lot more intense. You know, Bosch gets in his face. Uh, and Sloan basically tells him, you know, I tried helping you episodes before, but you blew me off. Uh-huh. And I was actually sent by Vance because Vance told me what was going on. So I'm here to help you. I'm not I'm not the bad guy that uh, Corwin and Creighton are the bad guys. Uh-huh. So uh, Bosch tells Sloan, well, we got to move. Bibiana and her son, and Sloan says, "Well, Vance has places we can stash them." So, uh-huh. so well, it's to like a little bit now. I, I have to ask this question to you guys because I don't trust this guy at all at this point. Uh huh. Do you guys trust him enough to bring to the house? That's was going to be my next question. Was how did you guys feel? Why, why did Harry believe him right away? I, I'm I'm more skeptical at that point. I'm like, okay, that's a good. That could be a good cover story, Sloan. Is that double the agent stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> what what do you think made Harry, can, you know, believe him? That it was, was in true. the books. <laughs> <laughs> no, so read so, or listen to the book. It's in the books. I know not all plot lines I make know, it in there, but okay, you don't so, have to be a book reader to <laughs> enjoy the show. The non-book reader figured it out, people. Let me tell you what happens here. So, <laughs> we're supposed to believe because it's true that Bosch is a really good judge of liars and, and character flaws. So, for whatever whatever way, whatever look he had in his face, Bosch okay. went with his intuition that this guy's telling the truth and okay. took his word for it. Because if this guy does something to mess with Bosch, yeah, Bosch is going to finish what he started with the confrontation, right? Mm-hmm. And he knows that. So, don't yeah. mess up with Bosch. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, Harry. That's does, the only explanation I could come up with based on yeah. the timeline. Something that Sloan said. I mean, when he brought back going to the office and trying to talk to him before, but he wouldn't yes. listen and so forth. It added up in Harry's mind, and he's had pretty good judgment um, yes. thus far. So I guess yeah, I'll have to to trust it or read the book. <laughs> yeah, or read the books. <laughs> or read the book. book. Yeah. All right. Well, let's circle back and and kind of tie this together. So there's the bug in Harry's office. He talked to Honey about um, her taking the DNA results to a lab. Pete pointed out that he's scared for Honey. But then we also find out that Corwin, the the next in line here, advances uh, fortune with the company. So Philip Corwin and John Creighton, they're overhearing this because, yeah, it, Harry wanted them to hear it. But that means they know now that there are heirs. They're trying to throw them off with the DNA results in the lab and all that, but they know there's an heir. And this conversation gets super scary and makes me really uncomfortable because Philip basically says to, to Creighton, well, we just need to take them out. You know, without so many words, he makes the message clear. And even Creighton, as much as we're like, he's, you know, he's too much sometimes and he's you know acting all tough with Bosch and following her in the drones and and everything like he'll do whatever it takes you know to do his security gig even he is like whoa I'm not sure I'm okay with that you know mm-hmm. but then what is it Pete money talks 
because oh, yeah. <laughs> Corwin comes back and I um, can't remember exactly. Uh, well, he kind of threatens the contract that Trident Engineering, tri that um, Trident Security has with Vance Engineering. So then he kind of changes his mind a little bit, I guess, because at the very yeah, end Don't of the, be too hasty now. Take yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, don't be too hasty. But at first I was like, okay, even Creighton has a soul. But, and then he sold it a second later, so that's all void. <laughs> I know. And then he sells out because at the very end we see him meeting with this like trained assassin kind of doing a demo for him. And she says, I hear you have a job for me. So, hmm. Yeah, it didn't take long for, for Creighton to kind of buy in to the plan. And uh, I did think it was funny when she shot that one bust or whatever and it like scared Creighton. Oh, when it fell and over scene, and hit yeah, her. Yeah, he that he was, he, <laughs> yeah. I guess he was trying to hide from her. I don't, I don't know if, if, if I don't know. I'm not sure. That's a good question. Um, I don't think he was trying to hide. I think he was just observing her work and yeah, observing her, and then it just startled him. You know, yep, yeah, just startled him because he at, uh, what was it? Because it looks like he's pointing the gun at him, and then all of a sudden that the, the thing. dummy thing is falling down and hitting the rack right in front of his face. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of funny to see him startled like that. Nothing else is funny about the situation <laughs> for sure, <laughs> but that's what's leading us into episode nine that they are actually hiring someone that these heirs someone hiring a bad ass oh my yeah, god yeah so yeah. so listen yeah, not just I, anyone not just someone. I, yeah. I chuckled because this is back you know when i watched the, the episode for the first time and i'm thinking to myself what i'm going to say on the podcast and i actually had it in my notes it was like you know, it was all going well till Sarah Connor entered the show. <laughs> and she just comes on some Terminator, you know, like, yes, yes. I'm just like, who's this Terminator chick, Sarah Connor? Like, come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people had that that sort of impression. So, um, yeah, she knows what she's doing and it's some scary stuff. So we, um, we've asked each other several questions um, throughout our discussion. If there's anything else you want to ask before we go into our person of interest, now's the time. Nope. Okay, I, I think you answered my question was the uh, why do you think Maddie turned off the uh, press conference on the TV? Is, oh. And he said it was because the, the worlds are starting to clash now because she's LAPD and money's mm -hmm. going out. And that's a good point. No, no, that that's was my a good impression. Point. No, that's it's true impression. because Maddie's seen a different world from a different point of view now, yeah. which is honey's not exactly, you know, all up and um high and you know up and holy, whatever that whatever that word is. All yeah. whatever I can't think I of. am mighty. Um, I, am I am mighty, yeah. Like yeah. um a holier than now. Yeah. Mm. She still you know, respects like, her and but she's but starting to see what Bosch always questioned, I feel. Yeah. And at the same interest, time, honey's keeping Maddie at a distance because it is a conflict of interest. What yeah, who, their interests aren't always aligned them. now. When she was her assistant, sure they were they were aligned, and now they're not. Um, so it's it's becoming um, more uncomfortable. So, yeah. Well, let's get into our person of interest. Um, I'll go first, unless somebody else wants to. No, go ahead. Okay, not in the episode a lot, but I'm very intrigued by Morrison, and I feel like um, with the conversation he had with Cosgrove trying to like sway him one way or make sure he says certain things and then um honey poking at him you know trying to get information from him this all leads him to like we talked about revisit that recording and i thought that was a you know a pretty big reveal that the gun was supposed to be in the trunk and i just 
so it propels the story of course we feel like there's more to this than meets the eye or meets the ear what we've heard yeah um from sis but he just seems he seems like a very interesting character it propels the story and you can tell that he um has some type of that he has a moral code you know that he's not you can tell he's not so sure about what cosgrove said to him like i don't know that i like him having that conversation that way with me now is it a moral code or is it i'm going to go to jail if i don't get this right <laughs> i mean yeah you know what I'm saying? or lose my job one or the other yeah. it's not going to be good there's no good ending unless you get your ducks in a row and get your stuff right. together right i i just i think he is an interesting character because he did promise um ms davis that he would keep nicole safe and yeah he didn't it didn't happen it went down a different way so i just think he's got a lot to deal with and to, to I think he's got a lot to figure out about how he's going to handle the situation because he's got people coming at him from different angles and he's got to figure out for himself what's the truth what's my truth what you know how am I going to handle this because it, yeah it's a dicey situation and it didn't go down like like he planned for it to like he had great intentions but that yeah. intentions don't always you know they're not always enough so um, yeah between propelling the story and just finding his you know feel like there's a lot of thought going on there i find him interesting and um i wanted to point him out who wants to go next um i'll jump in real quick okay. real simple laura Craft, tomb raider saracana whatever <laughs> you want to name her um yeah that's my person of interest why you know what's gonna happen obviously i see a face off with boss because you know we know boss has a powerhouse you know if he's the hulk hogan you know who is she? Is she Andre the Giant, Macho Man, you know, Ultimate Warrior? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who is it? Who like, Obviously, it seems like she's here and she's going to face off with Bosch at some point. So, and we've seen a, a preview of her work. Yeah, we've seen a preview. Yeah, that's a good point. So, it's going to yeah. be interesting. Yeah, no, that is a, that is a game changer for sure. Mm-hmm. Seeing her at the end and knowing that they're going to that, those lengths. Well, it also leads me to the thing when I was first watching it. When she first came on the screen, I'm thinking to myself, is this going to be one of those um, episode 10 where Bosch gets shot and then it goes to watch episode two, season two, oh. to see the recovery? So, like, I'm I'm now watching actively to hope. That, like, there's a chance in my mind now Bosch can get hurt. Mm-hmm. So now it's more interesting. So you're not worried just about the heirs. You you know it's going to. Well, Bosch got to defend them and get in front of them. Yeah. yeah. So and what if we have to take a bullet too. for someone? We don't know. Yeah. So we have to find a way to see, find out, you know, but like I said, now there's an option in my mind. Is he going to get the, the, you know, is he going to get, eventually someone's going to get the best of Bosch. Is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the one? Mm. So, all right. Yeah. How about you, Mike? I had, I had two of them. I had Mo because how much he was helping Honey out in this episode, mm-hmm. getting the information on Cosgrove. And one of my favorite lines, it wasn't from him. Well, actually it was, it was how smooth he was at the clerk oh, courthouse yeah. or whatever he's like and there's nothing we can do about that and it's like you know my man type of thing he's been so smooth the, i don't know if it's the actor himself that 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 emanates off of but yeah. when uh him and honey were talking about the uh the temporary restraining order that cosgrove wasn't around much because of his job and Honey says that it's the number one cop show cliche, you know, it's like, it's like they're ripping on other cop shows yet. It's a cop show in itself. <laughs> yes. And then the other one was uh, Dr. Gallagher that he was giving the information to, to, uh, to Harry Bosch about the stabbing of Dr. Basu yeah. that it's either military or medical training involved yeah. with whoever killed him. Yeah. He's narrowed so both, the scope. 
Yeah. Yeah. All cases kind of moving forward in this eighth mm-hmm. episode, but you know, like Pete said, it's kind of a slow moving episode, but setting pieces up for nine and 10. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. those are my two persons of interest. I all right. Say. We'll let you cheat and take two. Okay. Hooray. You know. Well, maybe, no, he, maybe he really is channeling the inner J right now. I, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. You felt like you had to choose two to, for J, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's all you. It's all you, Mike. All right. I like it. All right. Well, I, um, we'll have our interview coming up with Osoque, but we got some trivia before we get to that, I think. So I'm gonna, I've got one. I, I got one. Go first, nice. Tracy. <laughs> when Maddie is talking to the league attorney, she mentions um, which group or which unit she was in on the scene at when they um, <laughs> when they the attempted arrest of, of Sharp, but then instead, you know, there's the shootout. Which unit was she in? No clue. I know. I think it was four. Yep, fourth unit. Yep, yep, yep. fourth unit. Okay. Okay, and while I'm at it, what was the name of the league attorney? Oh, I have that written down here. Hold on, give me a second. Going to those notes. I'm going to my notes. I always have notes, notes, notes of plenty. Curtis Bozeman. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right. All right. How about um you go next, Pete? All right. Let me line them up. Mike, you knock them down. So try to. <laughs> when she's visiting in the hospital, I think it's Paulina, right? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And she's with um Rico when they go there together. And they're flipping through the channels before they get to Honey Chandler's press conference. There is a infomercial selling an object. What are they selling? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good one. I know. <laughs> is it in your notes? Is it in your well, notes? Well, actually, it was a uh, okay. So when I first, when I was watching the trivia, when I was watching the, the episode for trivia purposes, just the generics, uh-huh. I paused at certain scenes in case there was a PPI question involved. So Tracy, why don't you give your guess first? Okay, I'm going to say some kind of special blender. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Okay, and I I got the answer. They were jade collar collar triangles being sold, correct? Yes. Now I have a follow-up question. Okay. The price that was slashed, which was the original price, then there was a now price, and there was a today value. Do you have all three of those numbers? I don't have all three, but I think the original price was like $99.98. Close, close. The 65.98 was You got the 65.98 right. So it was $129.99 crossed off, and then it was selling for $65.98. However, with a special deal on today's value, it was then going for fifty nine ninety nine. And what were these things? What was it? The jade collar triangles. I think they were like earrings, right? Yeah, I think oh. earrings or uh, or yeah, collar. Maybe they were like uh, pins you put on your lapel or something like oh, that. Or okay, something. So, okay. Kind of yeah, so I paused it there just in case Pete had any questions off off of there. It was so. a lot easier than counting spots on a bow tie. I'll tell you that much. Right, <laughs> he's getting in your head. He's doing a good job. He's, I'm telling head. you, he's figured it out. That's it. He's figured it out because I didn't think anybody <laughs> would have stopped on the infomercial. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I saw Rico flipping and they were going through the channels and I'm like, okay, Pete's got to have one of these at least. One of these so. numbers is going to play into effect. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was also like yeah, where Bosch is reading the Culver City medical board story i yep. wrote down the date and time that was published oh. and by who just in case okay let me ask you this though i i was trying to get one one thing before that i almost had trivia but i couldn't figure it out the elegant flowers van 
There was a oh, there was a phone number on the back, and I just couldn't make out like three of the numbers. No, I don't so, think I, I I wrote down the elegant creations, but I didn't write down any phone numbers. Phone number. Yeah, I saw the phone number, but they didn't they didn't give me one one scene where I could get a perfect view to be a hundred percent right, so I couldn't consider it trivia. All right. Do you have any more, Pete, before we move over? No, to no, that's it again? for me. Mike, oh, Mike already blew, popped my balloon here. <laughs> Sorry, Pete. Had, had to win right. one against. Had to win one against you. I lost you in two good, back-to-back Mike. games against you. <laughs> you did really good with that one, though. I'm impressed. Well, thank you. So my trivia question to you two is: is What was the five-digit address that Bosch, younger Bosch, pulls up to the house for his biological father? I think I paid attention, but then I didn't write it down. Got to write it down, Tracy. I didn't write it down either. <laughs> one two zero one two zero nine five nine zero two one zero. No, the correct answer is two five 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 three. So, yeah, I made sure I wrote that down on my trivia dive. I figured if anybody knows some trivia's that I post up, it's you know all good. So, yeah, that was a that was the uh, oh and uh, hold on, I got one more quick one. Okay. When Rico brought in the tamales, where were they from? Oh, I yeah, know the I know the bag. I just didn't pay attention. Yeah, what was the restaurant called? Aunt something like Aunt Aunt Maria's or something. Fairly close. Oh. Empanadas. <laughs> Empanadas are good, by the way. Now they were Magley's Magley's tamales or Magley's Magley's tommy. Tamales. Okay. 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 Magley's. Yeah. I can't remember how, exactly how he phrased it, but I wrote it yeah. down. I reached out to Sokway asking if there was any connection to cast or crew as why. That tamale place, maybe it was like some kind of inside information. And he goes, No, it was just some place, you know, we just threw in there. I'm like, okay, just asking. Was it I mean, real tamale, or made up? Hmm? Was it real place or made up? It's a real place. Oh, it is a real I place. I remember okay. the exact address because okay. I, I was thinking, you know, this isn't the first time tamales have been brought up in uh-huh. season yeah. three. It was the uh, the food trucks. So but the yeah, tamale, the little, the little That's tamale girl in season seven. Little tamale girl, yep. Molly's coming around. So, again. Yeah, good job on the trivia tonight. I know I asked a couple number and restaurant ones, but those were good ones. Those were good ones. All right. Well, I think that's it for us tonight. And um, enjoy the interview with Osoque. And we'll be back for more episode nine discussion. See ya. Which I assume will be rolling a lot quicker with a lot of these pieces really starting to get pushed over because we're running out of time. So I'm excited. Let's go. Everybody, go. good night. I'm going to watch it. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>
three principals with three very different professions that right. don't always intersect with each other. Exactly. You know, and you want to service each one properly, and, and it just uh, it forces you to, in a good way, you know, obviously it, I, I would say the bad way is probably that it's just more work for everybody, but in a good way because then it's like you see more of L.A., you're out in the world yeah. more, you know, seeing uh, the different sides of the legal system and things like that. So Sure, sure. Okay. Well, this uh, this first question I, I have for you, is, it's, it may be a hard one, um, it's kind of like asking someone who their favorite child is, but I was just curious, um, do you have a character that is your favorite to write for? Is... Um, I personal. oh, man, I feel like you're going to get me in trouble, actually, with that question. <laughs> I want to know. Uh, I'm like, okay, he's not going to want to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I really enjoy writing for Madison and obviously now Denise as uh, Raina Vasquez. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy it, obviously, because uh, of the youthfulness that comes with that. Okay, um, sure. And I and I also enjoy sort of the you know it it it's familiar but it's fresh. It's something we haven't really done as far as yeah. dealing with patrol and um, really seeing the other side of things. We we more so have dealt with detectives. So mm-hmm. I like the opportunity to expand upon what viewers know about patrol and their experiences mm-hmm. and what they take home and what they have to disconnect from. So that that's always fun. And then also, you know, fleshing out these two individuals, these two females who are still growing as people. Right. You know, uh, especially with, with Maddie is somebody who's coming into her own as Madison Bosch or, who, or Maddie Bosch. Who is that? You know, yeah. Um, yeah. is she just her father or is she something else? And I, I love right. exploring that and figuring that out. But, you know, I, I would also... I know this is going to be sort of covering my, my bases here, but, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. with Chandler Chandler and Bosch as well, I love writing for them too. Yeah, it's, yeah, um, so different, it's I different. guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very different, especially with, like, someone like Chandler. Like, we really only scratch the surface of her sure. as a character sure. uh, in the yeah. old world. So it's it's fun to explore her and, and through the trauma that she went through of nearly dying and trying right. to introduce some new layers like her daughter or, you know, her relationship with Rose and things like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it kind of uh, it got me thinking about new characters like Raina and, um, and, of course, Mo and how it's exciting to, to write for new characters. Is it also does it create some challenges as far as the fact that we, the audience and you, the writers don't really know them as well yet? Is that like, is it more, more fun than it is hard or is it difficult at all for for writing for a brand new character? It's definitely difficult writing for a brand new character because you want to make sure that they're jiving with the, the tone of the overall show. And of mm-hmm. everyone else around them. You don't want them to be somebody who's like over in left field. Um, yeah. It just feels like such a contrast and that the audience isn't going to respond positively to. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I remember when I had to write uh, the scenes for Mo, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't fully know his voice yet. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, we, I haven't seen enough of him to know his voice fully. So you sometimes you're you're sort of shooting in the dark. Um, hoping yeah. that something something lands, um, yeah. and sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I remember there was a scene in, in episode eight, uh, and I think it's okay to to talk about this. But when um, yeah. 
when Mo is in the delivery, the flower de- the delivery van, and yeah. initially I was like, okay, well he seems you know he's a, he's a cool guy, he's modern, all right, maybe I'll have him sitting there. He boshes up with um, Viviana. I was like, oh, he'll be, just be sitting there and he'll be playing Candy Crush on uh-huh. his phone. Yeah, and that lasted not even past the first production draft. I was like, no, we're getting that. Um, Because, you know, for me, I was like, okay, I don't fully know the character, so let me see if I can add something a little fun to him. But sometimes you you get close, and then sometimes it's just like, eh, that feels like a step too far. Let's let's bring it back. Yeah. And I I think it was the right choice to do so, because we're still, Mm -hmm. you know, last season we, we learned just enough about Mo. And then this season we'll learn a little bit more, and then hopefully the next season sure. we'll learn more. And it's just unpacking this character in a very fun way. Yeah, yeah. We were uh, we were just discussing episode eight um, last night on the podcast, and then we're gonna you know put all this together. And when he came up, it, and it comes up often, just how smooth he is. And it's just interesting to me that. He is a new character, you know, a new actor to the show, but the lines that you all write for him with his delivery just mesh so well. I mean, it really is working, you know, because he, he wouldn't sound so smooth if the lines weren't, you know, appropriate for him, you know. So exactly. It's, it's very impressive. <laughs> you know, and that's that, one of the great things about having, like, um, you know, Eric Overmeyer uh-huh. being a, a showrunner on the show and obviously yeah. Tom Bernardo who's been with the show since the very beginning mm-hmm. um, they know the voices they they know the world you know so even if it's yeah. like a new character and mm-hmm. we're still sort of figuring it out they know the limits of where to go and, and sort of how to craft the character in a way that that just integrates seamlessly with the rest of the characters in the world that we have already established from the old world but also are expanding upon in Legacy yeah, yeah, very cool. Great resources, yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of episode eight again specifically, were there certain any challenges that you would want to share, or um, things that maybe they just said we can't do that, we can't you know capture that on screen, or <laughs> don't have a location, or something like that? I would say the biggest thing that I took, probably the biggest swing I took, was the confrontation with. Bosch, uh, when we're outside of Viviana's, yeah, and you know we're dealing with the whole with story Sloan. with like with Sloane and Corwin, and you know who's who's good and who's not. Obviously, we're kind of unpacking that, yeah, and uh, especially with Sloane, we're not sure where his allegiances lies, right? And um, I had this whole thing where like, you know, Bosch is is racing to Viviana's place, so you see him in the car. He's calling her back. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Are you okay?" and everything like that. And she's like, "You know, he's still outside." And then he gets there, and you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, "Okay, maybe let's give Sloan a little something here that he's there's a there's a, a physical confrontation between the two of them. It's not just Bosch slamming him against the wall, but like Sloan's actually okay. getting some moves in, and there's an oh. actual fight between the two of them." Uh-huh. Um, before Bosch is able to, I think I had it in one of my drafts that Sloan was carrying a gun, so Bosch is able to disarm him. Okay. And, you know, I I remember, <laughs> well, as I was writing in, I'm at home with my wife, and I'm, like, going through the movements. I'm like, all right, they could do this, and the choreography <laughs> of it, and stuff like that. And it just, 
it was it was too one it was too big um because okay. you know we have to shoot within so many days so from a production standpoint it was kind of big but also too sure. it just felt unnecessary in the end and you know it's okay. something when you're writing you sort of you think okay this could totally work and then it'll take somebody like a tom or an eric to articulate why it's like yeah that's it's a good idea, but you know we could just mm-hmm. do this, and you get the whole the whole point across. Um, yeah. Okay. In a more seamless way, so that that would probably be the biggest thing because I remember that uh, in the in my writer's draft, I was like, oh man, this is this is so badass, and then it was yeah. like, oh yeah. yeah, we don't need to do all that, all right. <laughs> you know? That's, that's um, really that's interesting. I mean that that specific example is really interesting, and just thinking about how many iterations things must go through. When you're writing, I mean, I don't, I, I don't, can't, I don't have any idea. Like, do you have an average number of drafts, or can it just vary from episode to episode? It it varies from episode to episode. Uh, I think it, um, you know, a lot of stuff. You you have the writers' room, and you um, you collaborate on these ideas, and mm-hmm. you're like, okay, this is what this is the story we want to tell. Go write it. Um, you know, we work through the scenes and everything, but then go write it. And sometimes, like, let's say you're on episode one and two, and then somebody's writing an episode five, possibly. There's things okay. you might find in the performance and mm-hmm. just working with your actors that causes you to maybe course correct just a little bit. Okay. You know, so then you'll make adjustments to a later episode because there's things that just trickle down. Um, yeah. So I, I think the, the story is always kind of fluid. Like, you have the, the broad strokes. And mm-hmm. the in-between things are, are fluid. And then there's, okay. you know, there's things like location changes and things like that that may affect the story that you're trying to tell. Um, mm-hmm. So th- those okay. would all influence how many drafts there end up being. Yeah, sure. Okay, okay. Well, I'm a, a big fan of Ernest Dickerson. I'm also a big fan of The Walking Dead. So he's got a lot of history with that show. And then he's done so many great episodes directed so many great episodes of Bosch. So to have him direct your episode, I'm curious what kind of interactions you had with him about the episode. Oh, I yeah, I really enjoyed working with Ernest. I, I mean, I heard, I've heard such great things over the years, yeah. uh, especially on Bosch, but I never mm-hmm. had the pleasure of working with him. And um, no, he, he was fantastic. It was great to talk to him. And he's got such a, a great uh, a visual eye for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I don't think it fully resonated. This is kind of a cool moment that I, I, I had on set. It didn't mm-hmm. fully resonate for me working with him and then going into like the SIS storyline and okay. dealing with the, the shooting and the family and, and their grief and everything like that until we were doing the scene um, where Chandler's giving the press conference outside okay. of the house. Uh-huh. And you have the the reporters there, and you have the neighborhood people there, and they're they're holding up um, BLM signs, and mm-hmm. you know, I was like, I'm I'm sitting there, and I'm just like taking it in, you know, coming yeah. off of everything we've been through in uh, 2020 sure. and everything like that. I was just like, it, it was such a profound feeling, and uh-huh. then uh, one of the actors coming up to me and telling me how profound it was for them. Oh wow! You know, okay. really, yeah. yeah, really spoke um, spoke volumes, and I think it was such a great uh, scene and a moment, and it elevates that case and makes it complicated because a lot of these cases are are very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think Ernest was able to capture that in a really, really great way. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then obviously, you know, you see like the end of the episode where now we have our new threat. Like that was all Ernest mapping that out and okay. bringing this assassin uh, to the forefront in such a in such a cool way. Like we had we had talked about my uh, myself and the rest of the room. We had talked about doing like the obstacle course, but like you know, even looking back, I watched the episode again um, mm-hmm. in preparation for this, and and it was just visually just so compelling. Like you want to know what's going to happen next, and yeah, um, yeah. I've been very fortunate to have like sort of the the ramp up episodes. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think Ernest just knocked it out of the park as far as uh, bringing that to life and making you want to continue to watch and stay engaged. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great insight. Well, I'm curious, talking about um, seeing your the episode you've written in the filming process, you know, coming to life like that, would you say it's more you're more nervous as you're watching it unfold or is it more excitement or some of both? I would definitely say some of both. I mean, uh, the one thing, like, I, I feel like I have a really great relationship with Tom Bernardo. Um, mm-hmm. So the one thing he's, he's instilled in me is this idea of protecting the story. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you want to make, you, you get caught up in the excitement of it because you're like, oh, something I wrote is, is coming to life and you're seeing it not only come off the page but be elevated really Mm -hmm. off the page because the actors just bring in their sensibilities that just kind of takes what you wrote to that next level. Um, But at the same time, you want to sort of bring yourself back down and be like, okay, just making sure we're tracking this properly. Just making sure because something that's done or said in episode eight could impact something that we're supposed to find out about in episode nine. So you're nervous about those things. Missing those moments. Um, So you you try not to get, or at least for myself, I feel like I try not to get too caught up in the excitement, even though it's definitely there, um, because I just don't want to miss things that are pivotal uh, for us later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Well, speaking of Tom, he shared with me that you're one of his biggest sources regarding like feedback from, from viewers and getting, you know, viewer response on things and interacting with them. Is that something that's particularly interesting for you to do to to interact with the audience or does it feel you know is it you feel a sense of obligation to it just kind of how do you think that came about that that you kind of fell into that role a bit you know it it's sort of a a very surreal thing because i'm I'm not really a social media person Mm -hmm. Um, but you but it to be on a show that has such a passionate uh fan base yeah. Um, you know, is is kind of exciting and you see all these posts whether uh good, bad or indifferent that you sort of just can't ignore. Um yeah. okay. and you you know, I, I like like I'm I'm somebody who's very big on like if I get a, a Blu ray um of a movie, I love looking at the behind the scenes. I oh, love getting that additional <laughs> information. Yeah. You know? So when I do see questions that are like, Oh, what about this or that like I like being a source for that. Sure. Um, okay. So I like en- engaging with with our audience in that way, uh, but I also like just kind of gauging the response to what we're putting out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a new show. This is a, you know, we we took a very big chance on this show because you guys have been so acclimated to 
the original boss series mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and what that was and, and the dynamics there. And here we are like, you know, we're going to just wipe all that away and start <laughs> essentially from, from <laughs> scratch. Uh, but at the same time, still kind of continue what was there, but then right. make it new enough to be a spinoff. Like there were so many things. And I think um, being able to just kind of gauge the audience has been mm-hmm. helpful. And it allows us to see, like, okay, what's working, what's not. And it doesn't mean, like, oh, because somebody says something, we're automatically going to change anything. Right. Um, but it just kind of keeps, you know, things in mind because there might be something that's not resonating the right way that we okay. think because we have we come in with a certain sense of knowledge. We're like, oh, this makes total sense. Okay. And then yeah. somebody might be like, well, not really. <laughs> you know? Okay. And, yeah. And just kind of being aware of that. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, we really appreciate the interaction. I know all the fans do. It's really nice to, to it's it's really fun and to uh, to get some inside scoops sometimes, or just to sort of flesh some things out that maybe you know we were curious about. So um, people are very grateful for that. So thank you. And I don't want to keep you too long, but I did want to ask, or you know, of course, I'm sure you know that book readers really enjoyed the nod to the Lincoln lawyer in the flashback scene. Did did you expect that much response from the keen viewers on the show? No, but I was hoping for it, I guess. Okay. Um, okay <laughs> because okay. we wanted to make sure that it landed without um without giving too much away. Obviously Lincoln Lawyer yeah. is on Netflix and they're doing great over there. Yeah. Uh, the first season is, is really um really fun and, and I think they did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um so so there was certain parameters that we could play in. Okay. Um and this was an idea that uh, Tom Bernardo and another writer, uh, Ben Pitts, had uh, brought to the room. And okay. it was something like, oh, this would be kind of cool, you know. And, uh-huh. and it was something that had to be fought for because as, and again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, like you can have the ideas, but as things progress and scenes progress that you're, you're filming, you might be like, eh, well, do we really need this? Things like that. So you know, once they pitched the idea, I, I was in love with it. I was like, yeah, oh, I, yeah. I think we have, we have to do this. Yeah. Um, sure. You know, there were certain things that I came into eight with that feeling. There was, there was uh, um, the flashback, but there was also like Maddie and Raina taking mm-hmm. a step further in their relationship. So like mm-hmm. Raina actually calling Maddie, Maddie. Right. Um, but uh, no, it was, it was a fun thing to, to put together and to, Add to the lore, you know, yes, the mythos yes. that is Bosch uh-huh. and, and the history that is Bosch. Yes. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun. And, of course, the casting went a long way <laughs> with yeah. everybody being like, I, I love seeing when people are like, wait, did they do, like, perfect casting for this? Or <laughs> is that his son? You know, yeah. that is his son. And, um, you know, I, I, I love seeing that. I thought that was really fun and cool. And um, yeah. I'm glad that people – that the flashback resonated with people. Yeah, it, it landed really well, for sure. The, the, the whole episode, the whole season, and that's why we're so excited for season two. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, season two is going to be... It, I, I don't want to give anything away, because I, I definitely will get in trouble for that. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but no, it, it's where we pick up and, and where we go, I think it's, it's really a lot of fun, and we're trying things awesome. that we haven't done before, um, not just to do it, but because it feels right to the story that we want to tell. Yeah. Um, I remember reading um, episode one and two. Uh, I was in New York at the time, and I read episode one and two, and uh-huh. I was just like, oh, my gosh, the audience is going to lose their mind. 
Like, <laughs> like yeah. you know, and that's that's the other part that's kind of helpful with uh, being on social media. I can kind of gauge what what will yeah. ultimately land. Um, so I'm just like, oh yeah, they're just gonna lose their mind over this. Awesome. Um, awesome. So I'm I'm excited for when it drops and everyone gets to experience it. Yeah, for sure. Well, the the audience has very good reason to have faith in what you all are putting together. So just keep doing what you're doing. We love it. And thank you again for making some time for this. Um, I know everyone will, will really appreciate hearing from the writer of this episode and uh, all the good things you had to share. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. You're welcome anytime, but I know you are very busy. So with that, I guess you probably need to get back to work. So. Probably, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, they, they uh, might need you over there. <laughs> maybe just a little bit. <laughs> All right. Well, you take care. Oh, so great. Thank you so much. Thank you you take care as well. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.